Welcome to Engage, a series for women in agribusiness. This update is made possible by the North Dakota Soybean Council, the North Dakota Grain Growers Association, Corteva AgriScience, the Agriculture Division of Dow DuPont, and Ag Country Farm Credit Services. Now, here's our host, Kara Hart. Today on Engage, we're visiting with Lisa Richardson. She's the Executive Director of South Dakota Corn. Lisa, thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking about your career and how you got to where you are now. And just to get us started, tell us a little bit about your role at South Dakota Corn. You you work with a lot of farmers, right? I do, I do. I get the opportunity to work with about 12,000 farmers. Um, I've been here for over 20 years, so it has been um, my career. I was working in D.C., and I was doing egg policy for a U.S. Senate candidate who lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and, but um, I had a love of agriculture and, and policy and trying to move things and change things. I actually was trying to hire their exec to work for us, <laughs> and when my guy lost, she was moving regardless. And so um, they approached me and did an interview, and I took the position. You it was years know. ago. It was very <laughs> different than what it is now. Well, how has it changed? Um, when I was hired, I was hired to actually help organizing. Um, I had a bunch of ethanol plant feasibility studies that had failed in my drawer, and um, the, you know we had the cheapest corn in the world. They wanted they wanted to do something with it. And I had a bunch of really progressive, thought-minded farmer leaders um, that were willing to put their neck out there. And that's um, they hired me, and I was relatively green and. Um, we figured out a model, and we mimicked that model over and over again. Could you say that maybe um, having you part of this role maybe introduced or emphasized the need for more corn ethanol in South Dakota? Yeah, um, this group was quite um, entrepreneurial in their spirit. Um, they gave a gentleman, the Bryan companies, the Bryan brothers, they gave them the first low-interest loan. Um, the first farmer-owned ethanol plant we did had close to a 1,000 farmer members. Um, we worked with our rural electrics. They used their patronage dividend. Um, and just, you know, the stars aligned, and it worked out. It was Dakota ethanol, and it worked out huge. And we just mimicked that model throughout the state. When we did our strategic plan, we were hoping to get to 30 million 30 million gallons, that was our goal. And our first ethanol plant was 40 million gallons, so we were going to surpass our goal. But now we're well over a billion gallons of ethanol production in the state. There was this policy called the Renewable Fuel Standard, and that policy actually started in, in South Dakota Corn's boardrooms. There were some leaders. There was Trevor Gassmiller with the American Coalition for Ethanol, um, myself, um, the, Jeff Bryan was involved, and they, they started talking about there's a thing called the oxygen standard and how we move from that and actually grow our market share. And we were hoping to have a 5 million gallon renewable fuel standard. Senator Daschle's office, Jonathan Lehman, was intimately involved in that. Uh, we see where uh, we've had talks of uh, year-round availability of E15, yeah. so a 15% blend of ethanol. We see where President Trump uh, is expected to be in Iowa next week. Uh, where we're hoping, um, but we're hoping not just for E15, for all blends. It's called reed vapor pressure, that there's parity for all blends over E10. So that um, as technology advances in our cars, as we look at high compression engines, um, we hope, you know, there is, there's a great opportunity to compete and grow for high, go for higher blends, and that's what the hope is. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things that from what we see in reports, uh, the ethanol industry, it does continue to advance because of uh, policy like the RFS, but it has mm-hmm. had some roadblocks, some stumbling blocks that's had to overcome, and now yeah. I think that E15 piece is one of those and the RVP. Well, I think the stumbling block happened, I don't think, 20 years ago when it was envisioned that we would have 10% of the liquid fuels market in the U.S. That's the highest value market in the world. I don't think anyone thought... Um, Producers would produce it, and industry would build it as quickly as they did, and they're ready to move to the next level. And so there is a there is a substantial fight over market share between ethanol and oil. Something I didn't foresee, and that's the opportunity to export ethanol. Um, ethanol is a huge octane. It actually cleans, you know, our air. It's an octane. Um, it's when when we export ethanol to Egypt, which or other places in the Middle East that produce oil, and they use it for the octane, and they also then buy our dry distiller's grain, and we it's a unique, something I didn't know we would ever, I, I didn't foresee us doing that. We're exporting about between 1.5 and 1.6 billion gallons a year. That's substantial. So the one thing, you know, I got a close-up view of this industry really um, going from its infancy. I don't think it's mature yet. I think it's a teenager. I think it has I think there's substantial opportunity yet to come. You, you talk a lot about the policy piece, but with South Dakota Corn Roll, and it, and you also help oversee the checkoff portion. We of, do. Uh, we corn. do. Explain we that do. a little bit in your role there. Um, we do research, market development, and promotion education. So we, um, years and years ago, we gave a rebate to farmers to invest in ethanol when we started this up. But now we look at high compression engine studies. We look at, um, we're doing, we're trying to go for the California low-carbon fuel standard, so we're doing some meta-analysis in that regard. So um, just continuing to grow that industry or the opportunity to grind more corn. But we're not just doing it in the ethanol world. You know, we're looking at, we just recently did a feed mill study. We believe there's huge opportunity um, for growing our livestock industry in the state. We think in the Specifically in those, um, in some of the uh, the world markets for pork and poultry, we think that opportunity exists. At the end of the day, we're the utilization council. We don't really care the species or what mm-hmm. uses it. Um, it's finding markets for it. Well, Lisa, what do you love most about what you do each day? You know, that's a question as I sit here. It's kind of a dreary day. We have a farm bill that stalled. We don't have e- um, higher blends of ethanol yet. And we're, we're in some trade wars that are substantial. Um, I think, as I step back, um, I think of how large agriculture is a whole to this state and the small role that I've played. And I have a great love of South Dakota. Moved back here. I knew I wanted to raise my kids back here, have kids. <laughs> but um, so, so I do get to do things that I think it affects our economy. It makes a difference. Um, we're getting ready. On Sunday, we're going up. There's a dedication at South Dakota State University um, per, for a new precision egg center that we were intimately involved in, and I think that's a game changer. I think we're going to create, create new economic engines in the state. I think we're uniquely positioned, just like we had Poet. We have Raven companies here. We have Eros Data. We have satellite imagery here, and we have great entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I I guess someday I can sit back and look that I played a small role in some of these things that happened in our state. What seasons are toughest in what you do in your job? 
this season right now is pretty tough. Um, it, it's I don't harvest, um, but um, it's a political time, and and historically, I've never had, I've never been through the. In my twenty years, we've never had trade issues um, where there's significant demand destruction happening. Um, we have a farm bill that expired. Um, I think we're going to come back. We still have some some real differences between the House and the Senate versions. The farm bill isn't as as Republican and Democrat as it is um, regional. Um, so I think historically, right now, um, is just really unprecedented times for me. I haven't seen something like like this. What do you see moving forward for South Dakota corn and, well, and where that's headed with all the uncertainty out there? Well, I still think there's huge opportunity. I think technology transfer, um, the, I'm, you know, our farmers in South Dakota, they're, they're, um, their margins are substantially less. There's 20%, you know, so they will sharpen their pencils they will look for new opportunities, and they will take some risk um, and try some different things. And so I think there is the opportunity to grow more corn per acre. And I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen this technology transfer and lower their input costs. I've seen huge opportunities in that regard. It's tough. The uncertainty is tough. But um, I do think they will sharpen their pencils, figure out um, how to be the low-cost producer out there, and um, I, I think there still is opportunity. I, I'm certain there is, specifically in corn. I mean, the corn genome is mapped. Now it's sequenced. I mean, our yields, I never envisioned when I started here, 20 years from now, I would have a guy in my office who's on, who used to be on my board just have a cup of coffee that he has 300 bushel corn. I think the opportunity is, is very, very large. Tell us about someone that you admire and maybe explain why you admire them so much. Oh, one of my, um, someone I admire, and I admire him. There's a couple people. Um, one is a gentleman by the name of Kevin Schieffer. He was my former chief of staff. He was my mentor. Um, he was a guy who wouldn't take no for an answer, and if he believed in something, he went to the, he went to the map for it. He tried to build a new railroad through this state. Um, very visionary and and really um, affected a lot of what South Dakota is. He currently sits on the Board of Regents. He cares about education. Just, uh, just, I learned a lot from him. Um, the other person I would say, and he's no longer our executive director, but a gentleman by the name of Rick Tolman. He was the CEO of National Corn, and that's a tough gig. You have different states with different opinions, different regions, and how he handled himself and how he treated people. Um, as I look back, and I probably didn't appreciate him when he was there as much as I should, but as I look back, I thought, wow, he was he was excellent. Looking back on your career and where you are now, um, if you had to go back and do anything differently in your career path, what would you do differently? You know, that, <laughs> as I'm going through that 50-some-year-old lady thinking, well, um, I moved to D.C. to go to law school. I wanted to get my residency established so I could go to UVA. I never did that, um, but it's something I regretted, but I don't currently regret it because I think of, I came back home, I, you know, met my husband, we had this family, we established ourselves in South Dakota, and it's been a great life. So if I had to do it all over again, um, I, I've had unique opportunities 
that I didn't know I would have. Um, I may, might have taken, I took some pretty, pretty big risks when I was younger. I don't, I'm less, as you get older, you're more adverse to risk. Um, maybe be a little bit more risk taker as I move forward. What kind of risks would you say that you took when you were younger? When we bet on the ethanol industry, we bet our whole yeah. budget. <laughs> that was a risk. I had, you know, I was young. I, was, I wasn't even 30 when I was hired. And I had this really, really um, engaged, strong, I mean, um, visionary farmers that wanted to do something, wanted to do something that changed their livelihood. They bet on themselves. And we bet it all, and I didn't think twice about it. And we didn't, and, and to be honest, the stars aligned. I mean, a lot of unique things happened that no one could have envisioned. But I, I really go back to this board that was willing to, to, do, to bet it all on. Um, try, I mean, we, have, we would organize those farmers to invest in ethanol plants. You know, they could have went broke, some. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of um, but they they bet, believed in themselves. They wanted more economic activity in their area. They wanted a, a new market for their product. I mean, they were, and then they all sat on these ethanol boards. They were true leaders in their, in their field. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing part of your story with us. And as we wrap this up, I'll ask one more question. You'd mentioned that in the future you'd like to take more risks. Where do you see your career headed moving forward? Well, the opportunity, I think, is endless in as far as understanding how we farm, how it affects us. Um, you know, we're getting the carbon score for South Dakota corn in the eastern starts, in the eastern part of the state. What new markets can that open up? What opportunity lies out there? Um, you know, the difference I would say in this run is, you know, years, the last five, six, seven years have been amazing times in agriculture, and we're coming on some tougher times. And so I think it will take it will take a new turn. Um, there'll be some visionary people come forward, and I hope we have the courage to take the risk to bet, even if we lose, to bet, and find new markets and new opportunities for farmers in this region. This special series is produced by the Red River Farm Network and made possible by the North Dakota Soybean Council, the North Dakota Grain Growers Association, Corteva AgriScience, the Agriculture Division of Dow DuPont, and Ag Country Farm Credit Services.